What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today on the other end of the line is my co-host Curtis. And today, obviously, you guys know we're here today. We are talking all things G-Day. It was wet, it was windy, it was a cold day. But still, despite all that, we had about 52,000-plus fans make it out to support the dogs regardless of what the weather was on Saturday. Now, Curtis and I, we were among that crowd, and while the weather totally sucked, it did. I mean, it was not warm, I'll say that. Uh, it was still awesome. Regardless of the weather, it was still awesome to get back out into Sanford and just taking some live football, glorified practice or not, it was still some live football. You know, that feeling you get uh, taking, in, taking in any action in Sanford, that never really goes away. And while it's really just the, really, I mean, honestly, that was the third scrimmage of the year, of the spring, I guess, it's it's a day that we also have no chance to lose. I mean, nothing obviously beats a real fall Saturday game day in Athens, but as exciting and awesome as those days are, clearly, the excitement, you have to admit, it's also, at least for me, I mean, I'm just speaking for myself here, but it's often mixed with a fair amount of nerves and just dread of what if, what if we lose. That's always the thought in the back of my mind. So while G-Day is obviously not as exciting because it's not a real game, to me, it's still a lot of fun because it's a relaxing day of football without the nerves, without the potential depression associated with possibly losing a game. So I always enjoyed going out there on an April Saturday and watching a little bit of football action. So we'll, we will get into a position-by-position analysis of what we saw out there on Saturday. But before we do that, we first want to quickly remind everyone out there who is not subscribed to our premium uh, content on Podbean that you can still subscribe today for only 2 dollars a month curtis i'm gonna put you on the spot here for a second man what can you buy with two dollars a month or i mean or in just two dollars two dollars in general what can you buy with two dollars uh bag of candy pack of gum small black coffee if you're in that kind of thing i don't drink coffee my wife does when i buy her small black coffee it's actually like 209 or something like that so you can't even buy a small black coffee honestly uh, i think four stamps near 50 cents each uh, maybe a song from itunes 30 minutes of parking in downtown athens these are all things that you can buy for two bucks. So yeah, for the price of all those things, you can get access to all of our content on Podbean. And just because uh, spring practice is over, it does not mean that this podcast shuts down until the season starts. You guys know that we keep this thing running all throughout the year. Uh, we are just like all of you guys out there. We breathe, this, we live and breathe this stuff. So we have a ton of good stuff planned for you over the next couple of months. We're going to continue to cover what could be, could be, maybe. An epic baseball season if we continue our strong play and the bats wake up a little bit here over the next couple of weeks. We also plan to have a new feature where we will be ranking all 85 scholarship players on our roster, 1 through 85. We're going to try to roll that out here in the next few weeks after a little bit more film study. And of course, we will have our annual Scouting the Enemy series this summer where we do some in-depth film study and stat dives to give you guys as detailed of a preview of each Power 5 opponent on our schedule as you will find anywhere leading up to the season. Uh, that's always one of our most popular series, and that will definitely be back later in the summer. Um, we're also toying with the idea of maybe producing some film study videos, but to do that, we're going to have to figure out what video software to use to produce those videos. So I'm going to have to do some research there. I'm in the process of that right now, but if you guys have any suggestions for us or any knowledge on that subject, uh, we would definitely appreciate any any uh, any knowledge you can throw our way. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. But yeah, anyway, we're going to keep delivering the content for you guys and to get access to all of that content through these long summer months, go ahead and subscribe now on Podbean for only $2 a month to get you access to everything. But uh, all right, let's go ahead and talk some football. Uh, I do want to quickly put out the requisite spring game disclaimer that despite all the hoopla surrounding it and the crowd in the stadium that's there, got the, all the energy, let's be real. G-Day is just the 15th practice of spring drills. It's one practice. It's one exceedingly small sample size of what our players have done and how they've progressed through the totality of spring practice. And as such, it really it, it's dangerous business and really irresponsible, honestly, to try to draw any sort of definitive conclusions of what we saw Saturday. But saying that, however, while it is only one small snapshot, it is the only snapshot that we in the general fan base get from January to August. So naturally, even though there might be a little irresponsibility in, in making too much out of one um, really glorified scrimmage, there's naturally going to be some level of overreaction to what we all see because that's all we get to see. And Curtis and I are not excluded from that. So we're going to try our best to not completely overreact to what we saw. But chances are 
we will overreact to something. Somewhere along the way here in the show, we're going to overreact to something. So just forgive us ahead of time if we do that. Uh, but anyway, let's bring Curtis in here and uh, let's talk about what we saw on Saturday. We're going to take this position by position and we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, let's start at the top here. Let's start with the most important position on the field, and that's obviously the quarterbacks. Now, if you look at the stats, if you didn't really watch the game, you look at the stats. It wasn't necessarily a banner day by the numbers for the quarterbacks. I think Fromm was 14 and 29, so a little bit under 50% of the day, like 116 yards, touchdown, and a pick on, on the afternoon. But despite the numbers, I still think there was reason for optimism based on what we saw, at least for me. So, Kurt, what did you make of the quarterback play? Do you feel better, worse, or about the same about a quarterback situation as you did coming into G-Day? Um, I'd actually probably say I feel better. I mean, we know who Jay Prom is. I think it felt better about the backup. So, um, you know, we don't have any superstar backup as we have had the last couple of years going into the season. So, you're not sure what the, you know, what it's going to look like. And I thought, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised what we got out of our backups, honestly. Uh, of those two guys, obviously Stetson Bennett coming back into the program was the former walk-on, went JUCO for a year, passed up a scholarship to Louisiana Lafayette to come back to Athens to be our backup, essentially. Uh, so you saw him, and you also see true freshman, uh, early enrollee, Dwan Mathis, who I guess I was really honestly, that was his 15th practice here at the college level. Of those two guys, which one impressed you the most? Um, I'm probably going to go with Dwan. I mean, we kind of know who Stetson is. I mean, you know, I thought Stetson played really well. But Mathis is the one that, uh, you know, all you've heard is how he had to improve as a passer. And while he threw some bad balls, I also thought he threw some really good balls with some nice zip and place and things like that. So it was nice to see him get some you know, nice passes out there. And yeah. See- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. But you can also see how good, how athletic he is. Yeah, to me, what I saw from Dwan Mathis was the raw talent. That was there in spades. Um, now he's still very, very raw. When I say raw talent, I mean raw talent. Yeah, we got him some good easy throws. Um, he, you know, he's going against the two defense out there, so he's not going against the number ones. Got to factor that in as well. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I thought the athleticism, like he, he was faster than I thought he was. I mean, I, I knew he was athletic and fast, had some speed in his game coming into G Day, but he was even in person more athletic and faster than I even thought coming in. You saw some good arm strength. He's got a really nice, smooth delivery of the football. Uh, obviously, he's still very much trying to learn the system and, and soak up as much as he can. But I think, you know, for a spring, a guy coming in as an early enrollee, I thought he performed pretty well. And um, made me feel, actually, you and I were talking about, you know, before the game, we were talking about how Carson Beck was the guy that you and I were looking at as probably the the heir apparent to Jake Fromm once he gets on campus. Did what? And again, here's us. Here we are going to be overreacting to one little sample size. But what you saw to Mathis, does that make you rethink the idea that Carson Beck's just going to be the guy that Mathis might actually put up a fight when Fromm decides to move on or graduates? Hey, yeah, I think one thing it shows that he's coachable if he is improving in what he's doing. And um, I think that you see the raw ability there with the strong zip and the you know the athletic ability of things. Um, you know, if he takes this year very seriously, then you know he's probably going to be a good competition when he comes around. Yeah, and from all accounts, uh, he is the kind of the kind of guy that kind of just puts his head down and goes to work. He soaks it up in the film room, uh, listens to the coaches, learns from Jake Fromm. The guys have been here, been around the block for a while. So if you look at the raw talent he has out there, which he does, he has that in spades, and you match that with a guy who's going to go to work each and every day and try to get better and understands he's got to improve, that's when you might have a player that can do some special things down the road in his career. I, I still think the world of Carson Beck, I think he's going to be very, very good. But I will say, I, I, I'm, I think there might be a little bit more of a battle once Jake Fromm is no longer our quarterback than maybe I thought coming into G-Day. I know that's complete overreaction. I said we weren't going to try to do that, but I, w- I was impressed with what I saw from DeWan. And, and you mentioned uh, Stetson Bennett. Uh, you know, the, the really, I guess, the prevailing thought coming into G-Day, and maybe this still is a prevailing thought among most people, I don't know, uh, but it was simply that like if, if something happened to Jake Fromm, the season was over. Do you still feel that way, Curtis, now that we've seen Stetson Bennett and Dwan Mathis in action, even though it's a small sample size and just a scrimmage setting? Do you still feel that the season's over, or can one of these guys step in for a game or two if Fromm happens to go down? I think either of them would step in for a game or two. I mean, he's serviceable enough to go with the talent we have everywhere else. Yeah, you know, honestly, I, I think that, like, I, I honestly, I, I don't think, like, Stetson is not Jake Fromm. Stetson is not going to be an elite quarterback. But I will say this, if Fromm goes down in the middle of a game 
or he goes down for a week or two, something like that. I think Stetson can fill in fine, and, and we can probably win some games. Now, are we going to beat the best teams on our schedule with Stetson Bennett? That might be a, a bit of an uphill climb. But let's say if it's uh, South Carolina at home, maybe. Uh, if we're playing Kentucky at home, like if it happens to be a game like that where Stetson has to come in, I think he can do enough to to still allow us to be in a position to win that football game based on the talent he has around him. I think Stetson is good enough to do that. Now, if, if Fromm goes down early in the season, he's out for the year, and Stetson's the guy all the way through, I, I, I'm under no illusions here. We're probably not going to go undefeated. We probably won't win. We probably won't get out of there with, with one loss. But I don't necessarily know the season's over if Fromm goes down with a minor injury for a week or two or if Stetson has to come in and, and just fill in to finish out a game. I think he's good enough to at least give us a chance to win some of those games. Now, Mathis has the ability. I just don't know how quickly he's going to be ready. I don't. He's not ready right now. Uh, but let's talk about Jake Fromm from here. We didn't really talk much about him at all. Uh, so numbers weren't, you know, they weren't particularly great. 14-29, and 29, 116 yards, touchdown and a pick. Uh, of course, there's always going to be the people that are all over Jake Fromm no matter what Jake Fromm does. Uh, but are you worried at all from, I mean, maybe a, I would say a less than uh, spectacular showing from Jake Fromm at G-Day? No, because, I mean, realistically, when you're going against someone more defense who knows everything you do from practice and everything, I mean, you don't really see offenses go out there and put up those numbers. Yeah, I, I think you have to look at it in context. Was it was it Jake Fromm's best performance? No, clearly not. Uh, but I don't think Fromm was bad. I really don't. I mean, look at this in context. I, honestly, I don't think the wide receivers particularly helped him. There are a couple of plays that were there to be made where he put the ball on the money, put it where it needed to be, on time, and the receivers didn't make the play. J.J., there's two of the plays. Uh, J.J., uh, and that, that interception... Look, I know if you just look at the stat box and you can say, okay, well, Fromm threw an interception. I mean, how can you do that? It's G-Day. I mean, what's that? There was, Fromm did nothing wrong there. Uh, it was a, basically, it was like a levels pattern where you have basically two slants. The the inside slant uh, or the shorter slant in that route, uh, that route combo was J.J. Holloman on, matched up on Eric Stokes. Holloman slips almost from the get-go. It was a timing route. that threw the timing off. But still, Fromm put the ball right in front of, of J.J. where the ball needed to be. He just got outfought when he slipped. It allowed Stokes to kind of gain leverage on the play, and he just got outfought for the ball. There's another play, and I love JJ Holman. I'm not trying to dog on JJ Holman. I'm just trying to be honest with what I saw there. There's a, a, a potential touchdown pass in the end zone uh, in the first half where uh, the ball was put up there in a 50-50 situation. We've had guys that have come down with those balls in the past, whether it was Javon Wims or Riley Ridley in years past. Even JJ last year came down with a number of those balls for us, but JJ just simply couldn't come down with that ball. He had his hands on it, didn't come down with it. So there were, and there were a couple other plays as well. Now there were some plays that got away from from. There's one read in particular, in terms of like poor reads. There was one poor decision going back and watching a couple times now, where he tried to drive it in between a linebacker and a safety. I think it was in the second drive. I want to say that. I'm pretty sure it was in the first quarter, uh, which was an ill-advised throw. There was a it looked like a, a deep post coming out open behind that, which is where I think he should have gone on the football. But that's just one. And you were nitpicking there. Um, there was a, a ball or two that got away from him with the wet conditions, the wind. But look, I, we like you said, Kurt. We we know who Jake Fromm is, right? Yeah, I'm not worried about. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about Jake Fromm at all. And honestly, like you mentioned that like, the defense knows who they know all your tendencies, they know all that stuff. But you also got to think about like in the spring game setup, they not only know who we are, they know our tendencies, they know our plays. They also know we're gonna be throwing the ball. We threw the ball 83 times compared to 32 rushes on the day. There was no game plan. There's no game plan involved, which is where Fromm really thrives. The defense knows your plays, and when they know you're going to throw the football, they can pin their ears back and come after you. Uh, it's just that, it, like, you know, obviously a lot of what we do offensively is we throw the football down the field off play action. Play action wasn't really much involved in this game because we weren't running the football enough to establish the run and for play action to be effective at all. So, again, we know Jay Fromm is. I'm not going to freak out about uh, the spring game performance. I, I thought he did some really good things. I thought he went through his progressions really well. There was one sequence particularly down the end zone, and it didn't uh, result in a touchdown. Uh, the ball is up just a little bit out in front of Tyler Simmons, but he went through four progressions. Simmons was his fourth progression, or fourth read on those progressions. He went through all of them, and uh, it was just good coverage. So I'm good. I, I you know honestly, I feel a lot better about the quarterback situation than I did even coming into G Day. But uh, next up, let's talk about the wide receiver play. Uh, I'd say, and correct me if you think I'm wrong here, Chris. I'd say if there was one common theme I have heard from just about everybody I've talked to post G Day. It is that the wide receiver position is a major concern for the 2019 season. How fair, Kurt, do you think that assessment is? Do you feel better, worse, or about the same about the wide receivers as you did coming into G-Day? I'm, I wouldn't say I'm scared. I think that I think it's a toss-up. I think it's opportunities for anyone. I mean, we've got guys who can make the plays with athletic ability and things like that. So 
that's not what scares me. I think it, what scares me is the unproven talent. But um, so his wide receiver. I mean, I, I get you. I, I think we do have talent. A lot of it is inexperience outside of maybe JJ Holloman, Tyler Simmons to a degree, uh, D Rob who didn't play Saturday. Uh, he hasn't done much in R since we played at Cal. But you're right, there is a lot of inexperienced guys like Matt Leonard are hopefully going to have to make some plays for us. Maybe guys like Dominic Blaylock, George Pickens coming in. You're right, I think you're totally right there. But does that still, I mean, that still makes the position a concern, does it not? Um, it does, but you just don't know who's going to be that guy to step it up. Yeah. So do you feel, I mean, after what you saw during G-Day, like, do you still feel, I guess sounds like you feel about the same as you did coming into the day? Yeah, because there's only so much you can tell from G-Day. Yeah, I mean, always, of course. It's just a it's just a spring scrimmage here, and like and honestly, I have to say we didn't like we mentioned some of those guys. We didn't have the full complement of our wide receivers, especially working with the ones. Matt Landers is a guy who was on the two D, who's on the two offense. But let's be real. I mean, Matt Landers is probably a guy that's going to get some reps with. He's he's going to be in the rotation. I think uh, right now I feel comfortable saying he's going to work himself into that rotation. I could totally wrong there, but I know that Kirby and the staff they're high on him. I think he has all the potential in the world. Now, he's got to be more consistent and put it together, but I think he's going to be in the rotation. He wasn't a part of the number one offense. We didn't have George Pickens there, who's a highly rated guy coming out of high school. We'll see. You never can, I mean, you never know what to expect out of a true freshman. These are highly rated guys, George Pickens and uh, Dominic Blaylock, so some, by some recruiting services, are five stars. Uh, but you're right. It's just an incomplete pitcher. You don't have the full complement. You don't have a pitcher of all the guys that are going to be there. Uh, I will say this, though. Like, I, I'm not overly concerned about it because I think we have the pieces. J.J. Holloman to me is the guy right now. He's the one that's similar to Javon Wims and Riley Ridley of years past. I think he fills that role and fits that build to a T. I think, I know we didn't see him on Saturday, but I feel pretty confident saying that D-Rob, once he gets healthy, is a guy that can give us what Miko was giving us out of the slot. Kyrus Jackson has potential. He's a lot like uh, Matt Landers right now at this stage in their careers where they're just inconsistent. Inconsistent. They make really impressive plays, those wow plays. And so what I had heard about Landers and, and Kyrus coming into this the spring game was that they'd make those plays and make you go, wow. But they're also really inconsistent and they kind of leave you scratching your head at times. We saw that on full display on Saturday. So I think we have D-Rob there who can kind of give us what Miko was giving us. For me, the question is, do we have that guy who can give us what J.J. did last year? We need like 24 catches, about 400 yards, 17 and a half yards per catch, five touchdowns. To me, that's the big question. Do we have that third option who can be a viable option to make defenses kind of at least respect so they can't double J.J., D-Rob, those kind of guys? Do you think we have somebody that can be that J.J. from last year, Kurt? I don't think on campus at the moment. So, oh, so who are you going with? So you're saying not on campus. So Pickens, who are you going with there? Pickens, Blaylock, Tongue. You can even go with someone like Gager. Oh, God, I forget. yeah, absolutely. Lawrence Cager's a guy who's coming in as a JUCO transfer. Not JUCO, I'm sorry, a grad transfer from Miami who is not here on campus for the spring. He'll be here in the summer. You think he'll be able to pick it up enough in a couple of months to be able to make an impact? I think he's that enough of a threat. The teams are going to have to watch out for him anytime you have someone that big. Somebody, you're right, somebody that big. And plus, someone who has experience in James Coley's office. Now, I know this offense is a little bit different than what he ran at Miami. It's going to be because we, you know, we're trying to carry over some continuity and some key, some cohesiveness from in, in terms of the formations we run, the language you use. So there'll be a little bit of a learning curve. But still, he's got the familiarity with James Coley and what he likes to do. Coley has familiarity with him. Um, so I, I do think he'll be a factor. It'll be very interesting to see how much he's able to pick up and how much of an impact he'll be able to make. But I think he has potential to be that guy. I, I'm with you there for sure. So, yeah, I get why people might still be concerned about wide receivers. And if there, like, was a position of concern, I guess I would say wide receiver would be the, the biggest concern. But at the same time, I'm not freaking out about it right now. I think we have the pieces. I, like I said, I think we have a guy in J.J. who's consistent, who's solid, steady, can make big-time plays for us, be that big body. Uh, you got D-Rob can give us some action in the slot. I think Kyrus, as he continues to grow, can, can give us some work there as well. Dominic Blair, we'll see, we'll see what we can get from him. And I think we have enough guys that are going to be vying to be that J.J. of last year, whether it's Matt Landers or Cager or George Pickens maybe. Hopefully to God he qualifies. But, uh, yeah, we'll see uh, how this plays out once we get into the spring. Uh, now, moving on here, running the football is rarely a priority in spring games because they want to hit – like our coaches, like Kirby makes no bones about it. He'll tell you. He wants to hit big plays, excite the fan base. We want to get people out and give them something to cheer for. And we also do some situational stuff as well. Like the last four minutes of each half is four-minute drill. Uh, so we're just throwing the football the whole time. And G-Day is no different. That G-Day is how it is. How it is. Like I said, like we threw the ball 83 times, ran the ball 32 times. So you didn't get to see all that much from the running backs. But, Kurt, what 
what did you see from running backs? Did, like, what stood out to you? Is there a specific player, something that stood out, something that surprised you from the running back group? Um, I thought Harry and uh, um, Cook both played pretty well. I mean, you know what you have in Swift, uh, so you're not expecting much there. But I thought Harry and Cook, uh, especially Harry himself, um, it, it looks like he's more of a threat out of the backfield uh, to make, give himself some value. And I also thought that you can see that Cook is definitely bulked up and did better, I thought. Yeah, you know, I'll start with Swift here. I'm with you. Like, when healthy, DeAndre Swift is a bad man. Is he not? He is. I mean, I think you could make an argument for him. There's other good running backs in college football, but I think you can make a legitimate argument with him or putting him as the number one back in America. Like, I think there's a legitimate argument to be made for a healthy DeAndre Swift with his lateral ability, the ability to just cut and make people miss in the hole. I mean, he's just making people look silly out there. Uh, and he's like he's trimmed up a little bit, but, you know, and he's – He's a guy that I've always said, and I don't know if people agree with me, but I've always said I will stick to it. He is short. He's not small. The guy can run between the tackles. Yes, getting on the edge and getting him in space is where he's just flat out dangerous, but it's not like he can't run between the tackles as well. He's done that, and he's run with authority plenty of times throughout his career. Um, You know, you mentioned Brian Herrian. Now, you and I both have been critical, at least at times, of Brian Herrian throughout his career in Athens. Did anything you see on Saturday, and again, I don't want to overreact too much here based on one sample size, but did you see anything on Saturday that caused you to maybe reassess what you think Harrion can provide us this year? No, because I think Harrion's always kind of been a little bit of a threat when he gets in space. Um, I didn't see much out of him when it came to vision-wise running between tackles, and that's always been you know my problem with him, he lacks vision, uh, especially you know between the tackles and things like that because he just runs straight into people instead of trying to find the lanes to cut back and things like that, which is like what, like, what makes Swift so dang good, especially between the tackles. Um, but I still think that Harrion has done enough to, or, you know, shown something that he could at least be a change of pace type guy as someone that we can rely on still gets more than, you know, what he's gotten in the last year. Yeah, you know, I, I tend to agree with you here. Um, I will say, and I've agreed with you in the past, that Harrion's vision was lacking to a degree, and that was one weakness in his game. I thought he sought out contact as opposed to tried to avoid contact at times. Uh, It was kind of like the vein of Brendan Douglas of years past. Um, I will say, though, and again, very small sample size, I did see, and there were a couple of carries uh, that I saw a little bit of improved vision out of him. There was one play in particular where it looked like it was designed to go maybe in in the A, B gap area. But he he sees a he sees that's kind of stacked up. He takes a lateral step, breaks it outside, and picks up about 10, 15 yards. So those are things I hadn't necessarily seen a ton from Brian Harry in his past. So I'm hopeful that now he's going to be getting more looks here and more reps. Maybe he will start to turn the corner there, and his vision will improve. Um, how do you like? Do you think it's like Holyfield was great for us last year? Thousand yard rusher, loved Holyfield. Regardless of his forty time, I don't care. Holyfield was a beast for us last year. When 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 Swift was not 100 percent early in the year, Holyfield was carrying the offense on the ground. There's no doubt about that. But saying that, and you and I were all about Holy like two years ago when Holyfield was was getting reps behind Harry, and Harry was the third back in 2017. We were saying the whole time, Holyfield's better. Holyfield's better. Holyfield's better. But do you think like how how much of a drop off do you think we're gonna have going from Holyfield to Harry in 2019? Uh, there will be a drop-off because I think – I mean, it's not speed-wise or athletic ability-wise, but uh, – I agree. I think Harrion's faster. Yeah, but Holyfield was good at getting certain yardage because he can just make people miss. Um, I, I think yeah. that's important about it. Holy, I, I agree. I mean, and Holyfield might not have been the athlete that Harrion is. He probably wasn't. But Holyfield, he had that nasty jump cut. He had the ability to get skinny through holes, and he was and, and they both run hard. Holyfield ran hard, but guys, Harrion runs hard. We all, I mean, if you've watched this play, you you know that Harrion will put his shoulder down and try to run you over. He runs hard too. Uh, he has a little more momentum, you know, because he's a he's a little he's a little bit bigger than what Holyfield is. Uh, but you know, I, honestly, I don't think there's gonna be that much of a drop off. I do think Holyfield, rightfully so, was playing ahead of Harrion last year. I think he was the better back. I'm sticking to that, but I I don't know if there's like. I don't know if he was that much better, like that much further ahead than Harry. I'll also say this. I think Harry gives us something out of the backfield in in the receiving game that Holyfield did not. And I think that is a weapon that you have to factor in when you're talking about who is going to give us more production. Now, I think Holyfield's the better back last year, like I said. But I think Harry does give us a little bit out of the backfield as a receiver that Holyfield just, you know, that was a weakness of his. That's something he had to work on. And it was something they talked about him getting ready for the NFL draft. He had to work on that. Harry that is the strength of his game. We saw that with the touchdown catch there uh, in the second quarter, I want to say. Uh, there 
going into the end zone down there on the west end zone. So I, I think it will be a little bit of a drop-off, but not a sizable drop-off, especially when you add James Cook into the fold, as you mentioned, who is a big play waiting to happen. He's still, you can tell, doesn't quite have the explosiveness that he had last year after the ankle surgery. He's still working back off of that. Uh, good enough to play, but not quite 100%. Yeah, I'm looking for him to be close to 100% once we enter fall camp. He's gotten a little thicker, as you mentioned, a little stronger in the upper body. Um, so I love what I saw out of him. We didn't see a ton out of him, but I still think just looking at him out there, he's a guy that is going to be a playmaker for us, there's no doubt. And, of course, we didn't see him on the field in action, but Zamir White, Zeus is the ultimate wild card here. Uh, I think, from what I understand, that we expect to get him back for fall camp. We'll see. It's tough to predict those things, but I think there's a pretty good feeling around Butts Mir that's going to happen. Uh, I also really liked what I saw from Kenny McIntosh. He, he released the senior highlights a couple weeks ago. If you go back, if you haven't chance, had a chance to watch those, go watch those guys. Uh, I have a different opinion of Kenny McIntosh after watching that. And he gives us a little bit of a bigger back. So, you know, honestly, I feel pretty good about where we are at the running back position. You know, it sucks Holyfield going on, but Swift, if he's healthy, he's going to be a bad man. Harrion, I like what he gives us there. Cook, Zeus, if he's healthy. I think we're okay at running back. Uh, now, as with the running backs, the, the spring game doesn't necessarily feature the offensive line. It really doesn't. It's not a feature for them. You know, with us throwing the ball more than like a 2-to-1 ratio, it just doesn't really show what they're capable of in the run games. But still, what I saw from the offensive line, this one small setting, left me salivating after G-Day. So, Kerman, get your take here. What was your take on the offensive line in general after G-Day? Uh, pretty much that we're loaded. Like, that's the, is there any other conclusion to draw than that? No. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, we like This is how crazy it is. We're so good on the offensive line. Sam Pittman has built a monster. We're so good that we have the problem where we have – Two or three other offensive linemen that, and Kirk, please tell me if I'm if I'm going overboard here. But I think we have at least two, maybe three other offensive linemen that would literally be starting for pretty much anyone else in America, but they cannot get on the field right now for us. Is that an accurate assessment? Uh, I'd say at least two. I mean, I don't know. I would say at least two. I would say at least Mays and Salyer. Yeah. And. You know, there. I don't want to say, and maybe like those two. I say could start for just about anybody. Then you got a couple other guys that I'm still pretty high on. Uh, I think Justin Schaefer is a really good offensive lineman. In years past, Justin Schaefer would probably be starting for us right now, but Justin Schaefer cannot get on the field at, at the current time. Now, Clay Webb's a little bit. Of t- uh, he's a, he's a little bit further away than some of the other guys. I think down the road, he's a guy that eventually can start for most teams. He can't, but he's not going to be able to go on the field right now. I just I just don't see it anywhere. Five star recruit can't get on the field. So we just. We have one of these, I know it's an old cliche, but it's so true here. It's a great problem to have. We have at least two guys, at least two guys that can start for anyone on the in the country that cannot get on the field for us right now, unless there's an injury. They just, they just can't. So it's just, we're so good up there. Uh, now, and what, and like, we've heard all the hype. We'll get to them in just a second. We've heard all this hype about our outside linebackers and how explosive they are and the havoc they're creating in the backfield. But I thought our offensive line did an outstanding job of keeping those guys off the quarterback. I mean, they, they I mean across the board, just an outstanding job. Uh, Andrew Thomas, you know, he's a guy that I zeroed in on quite a bit because I know that he's, I mean, this is the last year for Andrew Thomas. I'll tell you they got that right now. Barring some catastrophic injury, knock on wood, this is the last year for him because that guy is an elite offensive tackle. I mean, Nolan Smith is, is explosive and fast and just can bend the edge. He's going to be a great pass for us. When he was mashed up on Thomas, he got stonewalled multiple times because Thomas is just that good. He is just that good. It's not really an indictment on Nolan Smith. It's just Thomas is that freaking good. So, man, and, and really, again, threw the ball 83 times and with only a handful of sacks. Now, there definitely were some plays that could have been called sacks that were allowed to continue on. But, I mean, when you put the ball in the air 83 times in, to, in totality and you keep the quarterback that clean for most of the day, you, you got a heck of an offensive line there. There's no doubt. Um, but all right, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball for a few minutes here, and let's start with the much-hyped outside linebacker unit. We just mentioned him a little bit there, talking about the offensive line. And Curtis, in your estimation, how well did our outside linebacking unit live up to this hype on Saturday? I thought they did really well. Um, you know, they didn't get a lot of sacks, but they were creating a lot of pressure, forcing quarterbacks to have to step up in the pocket. Yeah. And they were affecting the quarterback, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think one thing that's not been talked about um, is how well they played, you know, in the run, in the passing game, you know, doing their assignments, you know, stretching, uh, you know, not or setting the edge, really. Like, you know, the one play you and I both go back to is that one where Nolan Smith played it perfectly. Uh, got on Andrew Thomas, extended on Andrew Thomas, who's got crazy arm length. 
Yeah, and then the one where he uh, you know, plays in space, shuffles his feet, keeps oh, his leverage, tackles Swift out in space one-on-one. And that's I mean, DeAndre Swift one-on-one. Yeah. He's as I dangerous think, one-on-one as anybody in the country. Exactly. And seeing things like that, it shows that I think they will live up to the hype because they can just do the small things right. It's not just, oh, they're all pass rushers. Right. And Kirby made it pretty clear, like, yeah, of course, you want the guys to get some pressure, but we weren't trying to dial up pressure. So you have to factor in the context there as well. These spring games are always designed to try to put up numbers and make everyone go ooh and ah offensively because that's what everyone wants to see. Uh, I'll say this. I, I don't think the outside linebackers dominated. I, I think that's fair, right? Like, they didn't dominate, but I still liked what I saw. I saw enough of good, promising things to make me feel good about what we have there moving forward. Like I said, there were a couple, of, at least a couple of sacks that were just not called, you know, the referees, I, they're told to err on the side of just letting them throw it out there. But there are multiple sacks that would have, like, there are plays that would have been sacks, 100%, that, that were just not called. They're allowed to continue on. Um, what we saw from Nolan Smith is that he is insanely athletic. You saw the motor, you saw the athleticism, you just mentioned there, Curtis, playing out in space and coverage in a zone out there in the flats. Uh, we throw the ball out to Swift in the flats. So you got Nolan Smith one-on-one with one of the most dangerous open field runners in America, and Nolan Smith took him to the ground. Um, that was that was impressive to me there. And you're right. You, you mentioned playing against the run. We didn't run the ball that much, but I did see some positive things with him trying to set the edge there and play with proper leverage. Uh, I thought I thought Jermaine Johnson looked good. Uh, honestly, between those two, who did you who kind of flashed you more, Nolan or Jermaine? I have to go with Nolan because uh, you know yeah. they didn't really yeah. go at Jermaine as much in like the past you know in different aspects as much as they did Nolan because he's playing strong side. Right, and and, and Bears mentioning I'm sure you guys all saw all this, but just in case you didn't, Nolan Jermaine both working already already with the number one defense. They did not start in the number one defense that came out in our base package with Walter Grant and uh, Aziz Ojolari, but pr- within a couple of plays, Nolan and Jermaine were on the field and they got a ton of steps, far more snaps than what Grant, at least Grant, and also uh, Aziz got once you looked at the, the scrimmage in its totality. Now, one guy that was not working with the ones, who's been a little bit of the doghouse over the past couple of weeks after getting arrested uh, with the whole marijuana charge, was Britton Cox. Um, honestly, Curtis, and, and tell me if you disagree. It's okay if you do, man. But I was not expecting to be all that impressed with Britton Cox because he hadn't practiced all that much for the past couple of weeks with the uh, the punishment that he was taking for the uh, the arrest. But I thought Cox really flashed to me. Now, he was definitely going against the number two offensive line. You have to factor that in. But I'm not talking about just like beating people. I'm just talking how he looked. He looked leaner. He looked quicker. Because I talked about, you and I both mentioned in the past, like we didn't know what Britton Cox's body was going to grow into. Like would he grow it? Like would he add weight and grow into more of a five tech defensive end? Or would he kind of stay where he is, maybe shed a little bit of pounds and be more of a, of a, of a pass rushing type guy? I think we have the answer, at least for right now. He looked leaner to me. Like, Am I making things up, or did you see that as well? No, I saw it too. I was actually really surprised uh, myself. You know, I thought, wow, this guy's been making a lot of plays. Yeah, he was, and I and I and again, taking context, number two offensive line, I get that, but with who he was matched up, and our number two offensive line, they are, they are not scrubs. I mean, he was going against Jamari Sawyer, who's a guy who was getting reps with the ones throughout the spring at various times in various positions, guard and tackle. Um, so it's not like we have yeah, Cade Mays out there too. It's not like we have a bunch of scrubs. These are guys that could star again for like pretty much anyone in America. Um, but I thought he looked lean. I thought he looked quick. I thought he looked aggressive. Uh, and just a lot more fluid than he looked last year. I thought last year, honestly, at times, Britton Cox was kind of stiff to me. I didn't see that as much. Or not. He's not as fluid of an athlete as Nolan Smith is. He's not. Uh, but I thought he looked pretty good, man. And I was impressed with him going against that number two offensive line. I, I, as long as he can keep his nose out of trouble, I think he's still going to be a big part of what we're doing defensively um didn't see a ton of Walter Grant went out there all that much uh Ojolari uh I liked what I saw from him as well again a guy that's just kind of building off of what we saw from him uh in the Sugar Bowl last year I think he's going to be a, a big piece of what we're going to do defensively I think those are the four guys right now I think really honestly if you're looking at it I, I think you got Jermaine Johnson Nolan Smith Aziz Ojolari and Britton Cox probably is like going into the season as the top four in that rotation does that sound about right to you yeah, and, and I know that Grant's probably going to come out there in our base package as the starter, but I don't see Walter Grant playing more than maybe 15% of the snaps in that position. I just I just don't right now. Uh, I think the other guys, might, they might not quote-unquote start, but I think they're going to end up getting a lot more snaps to be out there in the big-time moments. Um, one guy that I, you know, honestly, we didn't see much of at all, Adam Anderson. Like, honestly, didn't see much of him at all. Do you think that this is a guy, like, it, 
are you down on Anderson, or is he a guy that's kind of like DeAndre Walker that just needs to continue to try to add weight to his frame? He's with DeAndre Walker. I've always said I thought Yeah, and, and I, I'm still so high on his ability to rush the passer, and I hope that we can find a way to get him on the field on third downs. I mean, we did that towards the end of last year, the second half of the, of the season. We got him on the field there. Um, kind of as a spy at times, the guy that could rush the passer. So maybe he'll find his way on the field, because we didn't obviously we didn't show all of our defensive packages. So maybe there's a package for him out there. But it just, he's just not big enough right now. He's too light in the britches to be out there in any sort of standard down until he adds more weight like eventually Dondre Walker is able to. I just don't know if he's going to be able to get on the field anywhere outside of maybe like those third down situations where we're in a dime package. So uh, I'm still high on him and what he can bring to us. I think he's a, he's a situational guy right now. He's going to be that only that until he adds a little bit more weight. But uh, next, let's talk about the inside linebacker play for a minute or two here. Now, as expected... The first two inside linebackers that we ran out there were the Vets, uh, Tay Crowder and Monty Rice. But after that first series, N'Kobe Dean was in there. True freshman N'Kobe Dean on Mississippi, five-star freshman, was in there pretty much the rest of the way with one of the other two, whether it was with Rice or Crowder. They were kind of rotating. Rice and Crowder were. But Dean was in there pretty much the rest of the way, at least with the ones. So, Kurt, uh, same question here I asked you a little bit earlier. Do you feel better, worse, or about the same about the inside linebackers now that G-Day has come and gone. Probably a little bit better. Why's that? Uh, just to see what you saw from Dean. You still see uh, Sandal getting better. I still think he's going to be a beast. I mean, I just I feel a little bit more comfortable. I mean, I kind of was already feeling better, but you kind of see that, all right, we're not stuck with the guys we had last year where you had, you know, Juwan Taylor, Monty Rice, and Tay Crowder. Yeah, I mean, look, Tay Crowder and Monty Rice might still well be our starter just for leadership purposes. But just because they start the game doesn't necessarily mean they're going to play the majority of the snaps. I think you saw a little bit of that on Saturday. Uh, now, and, and maybe they will. Maybe I'm wrong. There's still a lot of football left to play, a lot of preparation until we get to the season. But right now, I'll say this. I think you're right. I think our four-man or five-man rotation, however many men we have in this rotation, I think it's infinitely more talented than what we had last year. Because basically what we're going to do is we're replacing Natres Patrick and Jawan Taylor with guys like N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker and Channing Tindall. Uh, that is an infinitely more talented rotation. Even if we still have Rice and Crowder in the rotation, who were guys who were part of it last year, the guys that we're putting in to replace the departing players out of that rotation are infinitely more athletic and talented. It's no freaking contest. Um, I was impressed with Nicobe Dean. What what did you see from him? Like, do you feel like this is a guy that can legitimately push to actually start when the season opens at Vanderbilt in Nashville? 100%. Actually, and I know this area I am. I said I'm not going to overreact. I'm kind of overreacting. Based off what I saw, I think I think he's going to start. I think he's going to start game one. I, I and I and there's again a lot of football left to be played in terms of the fall camp and a lot of off season stuff to go through. But if he if he played as much as he did in the spring game, I know he didn't get the start, but he played more than Crowder and Rice did. And he he was the dime inside linebacker. He's clearly the guy that we have kind of pinpointed as. The guy that we think is the most athletic guy in space and coverage to play in that dime package. He was out there almost every time for the ones in that dime package. Actually, I can't remember a time that he anyone other than him was out there with the ones in the dime package. Now, maybe a guy like Chain Tindall is going to get some looks. He did that a little bit last year, uh, but he was playing with the two, so they couldn't kind of just swap in the middle of the game there. Uh, but I will, here's another guy that I was really impressed with, Quay Walker. Quay Walker flashed to me. I, I like Tindall, too. I mean, Tindall is a really good player. I think Quay Walker's ceiling is higher than Channing Tindall's. He's got a, he had further to go last year uh, in terms of his learning curve and how to play that position because he didn't do a ton of it in high school. But I think he's a guy that brings us a ton of versatility to that position. Uh, he moves really well for a guy his size. He looks a lot like a, a former Alabama linebacker to me. He looks a lot like Rolando McClain. Do you see the, similar, the similarities there? Yeah, 100%. Big, tall, but kind of but kind of skinny in a way, kind of lanky. But he has he has some weight and add on that frame like uh, Rolando McClain eventually did. And he's a guy that also I think can give us some pass rush in the, in, in the game. He's a guy that – here's a couple times, even in G-Day, we showed him rush off the edges with his hand in the dirt a couple times, and he looked really good doing it because he did a lot of that in high school. Uh, he also did a really good job uh, – as a pass rusher off the blitz, like he, a couple of times he blitzed with the egg out. There's one time in particular, I think it was Harrigan who tried to get the block on him. He just completely made Harrigan, whoever it was, look absolutely foolish. Ended up 1 million percent in a real game. He would have lit up the quarterback. But obviously in this game, he wasn't allowed to do so. And they let the play continue on, although it was 100% a sack. They didn't call it, but it was a sack. So he's an athletic guy, long guy, lanky guy, 
got some good power, pass rush ability for us. He's a guy that we can find ways to use him and find ways to get him to help us make plays. I think he is going to be in the rotation. I'm not saying he's going to be a starter I, right now. I think eventually he will be. I think he's got a really good opportunity to do that. But I think he'll be in the rotation. I think he's a guy that's going to help us. Could be wrong. But I liked what I saw from him. But just, again, major talent upgrade in the rotation overall. But uh, all right, let's move on a little bit here. We already talked about the wide receiver unit and how that group seems to be the unit that probably for most people is the one they're kind of concerned about most right now. But after them, Kurt, after wide receivers, how fair is it to identify the defensive line as the area of the next greatest concern heading into the summer? Oh, very fair. Why is that? Like, what 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 do you see that kind of gives you pause there when you look at our defensive line? Right now, I think it's one thing too. I mean, you guys think that people like uh, um, Julian uh, Rochester? Well, yeah, my own but Rochester goes out uh, for the whole spring. Yeah, you got to factor that in there. He wasn't in there. Uh, you know, Devontae White's a guy that really came on for us late last year. He was working with the twos, so he didn't get any work with the ones. I do think he's going to be good. He's definitely going to be a guy, in my opinion, that's going to be in the rotation. Of course, Julian Rochester, who's borderline going to be, a, he's probably going to be a starter for us. Um, he wasn't in there at all. Mikael Carter is a guy who hasn't really done a ton, but he's still a body, a guy that can come in and, and take a couple uh, snaps here and there. He, he's been out for the spring. And so we were kind of left with a guy as a fifth year senior, Justin Young, who played, like, it was weird. Clark and Young were kind of flipping back and forth. Some of, each guy was playing the five technique a little bit. They side and side play the three technique. They're kind of going back and forth there based on the fronts we were playing. Like, let me ask you this. And I know we only saw him for uh, uh, this one setting. But if Justin Young is being relied on to be a starter and a major contributor on the defensive line, does how, how much does that concern you? Uh, it's going to make you worry. It's like, I, yeah, I mean, look, he could totally just make a big jump this year. And God, man, I hope he does. I'm, I'm rooting for the guy. But I'm, I'm, I'm always skeptical of these like fifth-year seniors who have literally never seen the field in anything resembling a meaningful situation in their entire career for their first first for their first four years on campus. I, I'm always skeptical of that. Now, there are guys that the light just comes on, and I hope to God he's one of them. I happen to believe that the reason he was starting uh, was either A, because of injuries due to the guys like Julian Rochester. He's a guy that can play some five, can play some three, fours. He's better if he's a three, but he can play some five. He's done that before. Um, or B, maybe it's a way to kind of motivate a guy like Malik Herring, who is, in my opinion, far more talented than Justin Young, clearly. But maybe his motor isn't always where it needs to be, is not always focused, and Kirby and company are trying to send a message. I think that's a possibility there as well. I do think Young could work himself in the rotation. I'm not discounting that possibility at all. I just have my doubts about whether he's going to be a starter when the season gets around. So what you saw on Saturday from the one defensive line is not necessarily what it's always going to look like. We didn't have all of our bodies there. We didn't have all the guys that are going to be rotating in on that defensive line. A lot of those guys are working with the twos and you get a chance to rotate with the ones. So... I do get why some guys might be concerned. I still am not 100% sure we have that consistent, dominant player up front. I think Clark can be that guy. I thought he looked good on Saturday. I thought he really played well. Uh, but we didn't have the full confidence on Saturday, so it's really hard to make any sort of like definitive conclusion there. Um, and I also, another guy we didn't mention, how much will a guy like David Marshall help once he gets healthy? Uh, a lot. It'll be a, a big help to have him back. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's a guy with a ton of experience with the five tech who can definitely continue to push a guy like Malik Herring. And I think Marshall is a guy that has the ability in certain packages and certain situations and downs and distances to kind of slide down to that three tech and give us some pass rush from the interior, which is something we haven't always had. So I think we have enough bodies to mix and match situationally to be pretty good. I, I like what Devontae Wyatt brings to the table. I think he's a guy that's got some athleticism and a little bit of pass rush to him as well from the interior that can that can certainly help us uh, once we get into the 2019 season. So I get what people might be concerned, but I, I'm going to wait on this a little bit. I'm going to see what we got once we get the full compliment back, see what Rochester looks like coming off that injury, see if some of these young guys coming in. I, I, honestly, I don't think any of the young guys coming in are going to be major contributors right away. Maybe Tyman Mitchell because it's a position of need. Uh, you also got to factor in, again, Jordan Davis was playing with the twos. He didn't get any snaps with the ones. He'll get plenty of snaps in the rotation with the ones and might even be starting by the time the season rolls around. So I'm not overly concerned about it, but I do see why some people might be. If, if there are any positions out there, I see why wide receiver, defensive line might be those two positions. But uh, next up is a position, and here I am overreacting again to one small sample size, but a position that I do not feel – like we need to be worrying about at all after what I saw Saturday. And that is the secondary. Um, Kurt, you and I were just kind of like, we just looked at each other when we saw some of the plays would be made out there. Like, whoa. Um, and we talked about this a little bit last week. But after seeing the team up close and personal, 
Kurt, what would you say if I said that we will be better in the secondary in 2019 than we were last year when we had DeAndre Baker, who is still likely to be a first-round NFL draft pick? Would you call me crazy? No, because I think we're more balanced. Absolutely. I think every, like, do we have the one guy that's going to replace exactly what DeAndre Baker gave us? No, I don't think we do. But what I will say is everyone else at every other position in the secondary will be improved. And so I think if you look at it in its totality, we will be a better secondary. We're going to have an improved Tyson Campbell, an improved Eric Stokes. Will either one of those guys be DeAndre Baker? Probably not this year. But, you know, if Campbell plays up to his capabilities and and plays the ball as well as he did on Saturday, which is our big concern all last season, this guy who's always in lockstep there, he's always in phase where he needed to be, but just simply was not making plays in the ball and his awareness was lacking, the ball skills were not there. We saw that on Saturday. I mean, from from I think was it the first play of the game, the first snap where he he uh, broke on a ball there, and there's multiple plays that he broke up. That's havoc right there. Is creating deflections. He looked really good in that regard. That's where he needed to improve, and I saw that improvement. Eric Stokes is so underrated, man. Eric Stokes is one of the. I mean, I'm gonna say it right now, I think he's gonna be one of the best returning corners in the league this year. I'm not ready to say the best yet, but I think he's gonna be one of the best. And, and honestly, if you look at the other guys who are starting for the twos, uh, and Tyree Stevenson and DJ Daniel. Like I think those guys, kind of like the offensive line, I think Daniels and Stevenson could start for a lot of teams in America, right? Yeah. I mean, so I think you have four cornerbacks in Campbell, Stokes, Stevenson, and Daniel that could easily start for almost anyone else in America. So no, we don't have that Baker, but everyone else has improved. Uh, then you, you, can, you can say the same thing about the star position. I think we have three guys in Mark Webb, William Poole, and Devon Wilson that could start for just about any team in America at the star position. And the guy you and I had kind of penciled in already uh, as the starter at star, uh, man, he didn't. He wasn't working with the ones. It was the other two. It was actually it wasn't even Poole. I thought it would be Poole. It was Mark Webb who went out there with the number one unit as the first guy in that rotation at the star position. That battle's far from over. But I think all three of those guys made some plays and can do big-time things for us at that position. We're in good position there. Um, you got a three-year starter at safety in Reed. I thought Richard LeCount looked fast. Um, tell me about Lewis uh, seeing Curse. What did you see from him, the true man, freshman? He was really physical. Uh, you know, he was not afraid to come up and hit people. Oh, man, what a striker, dude. I mean, again, small sample size, but we saw him just lay out a couple folks. Uh, I'm impressed with what I saw from Lewis seeing. I mean, he showed outstanding range. Great tackling ability, which is something that you had an issue with some of our safeties last year, particularly Richard LeCount, striking people. I mean, with his range, there was one play. I want to say it was in the first or second. It was in the first half. But, you know, obviously he was working with the twos. Uh, we were running this. Uh, I think we were working Landers out. Of the, I want to say he was out of the slot, but he might have been on the edge. I can't remember. But we were working Landers up the seam. And on the play, I saw because I was in the end zone. So I saw from the end zone angle. I love that angle. Uh, seeing it starts on the, he starts on the right hash. At the snap, he rotates playing deep middle. But he read the play, read the quarterback's eyes, he saw the play being thrown up the seam where he had just left that, that right hash to, uh, to Matt Lanners. And so he kind of, in one quick motion, turns around, flips his hips, shows great hip fluidity, and then just makes a beeline to an outstanding range and gets there to knock the ball out of Lanners' hands, which would have been, been a sure catch, big-time play. He breaks the play up, kind of injures, like, I guess kind of knocked the wind out of Lanners in the process. Um, and that play right there, that was kind of what caused me to kind of step up and say, whoa. This dude can play. And then he kind of just continued to build off of that as the game went on. And we didn't even see Otis Reese, who is uh, out, with an in, out with an illness. Um, I don't know if you've heard anything on this, Kurt. And again, I, this is total speculation. Well, it's not speculation. This is what I've heard. I'm going to throw it out there. I don't know if it's – it's kind of irresponsible me, I guess. But I've heard he actually has mono. Have you heard that? That what? Has mono. I've heard, I've heard that Otis Reese has mono right now. Oh, that would be rough. That would be rough. I hope that's just a rumor. I hope that's not true. I've heard some pretty reliable sources over the past couple of days that – yeah, I was like, yeah, it's, it's a shame he was sick, but he's, he's been out for a week or so. Like, yeah, it might be a little bit longer. He's got, he looks like he has mono. So I I don't I can't verify whether that's true or not, and I, but that's just kind of what it hurts. I want to I always tell you guys what we're hearing, and that's what I'm hearing there. Hopefully that's wrong because that would suck. Um, but I liked what I saw all the way around the secondary. In fact, I think our secondary is going to be nasty for us. Maybe, potentially, even the strength of our entire defense, which is hard to believe when you're losing a guy like DeAndre Baker. And again, here I am drawing conclusions off of one practice. Um, and anyway, finally here, we didn't really get a much of a look at the special teams other than kickoffs and field goals. But Kurt, what did you make of the little that we did see from the special teams unit? Anything stand out to you? Um, nothing really. I mean, just I feel confident. 
Uh, yeah, I feel good here. I mean, we know what we have. Rodrigo's kind of like Jay Fromm, right? Like, we know what we have at this point. And I thought Kamara showed a lot, even with the field goal. Whew! That field goal? 49 yards? And guys, I mean, it, it, if you were at the game, you understand. If you didn't, weren't the game, I mean, I know you saw uh, on TV, but I don't know if it showed up on TV there. Uh, the wind was blowing directly in his face, all right? And the wind was blowing about 10 miles an hour at least throughout the day. So when that wind blowing directly in his face, kicking the ball from 49 yards, that ball would have been good from 60-plus with the wind blowing directly in his face. Directly in his face. That made me feel really good about our post-Rodrigo kicking situation, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, and Camardo was like, we recruited him as a kicker out of high school, as, a, as more of a field goal kicker. He wanted to be a punter. He saw that opening there, and he was a good, solid punter for us last year. I still say there's a chance that next year he could be both our punter and field goal kicker. I, I'm not going to throw out that possibility. I'm not going to discount that possibility because, I mean, dude, what a cannon. I mean, what a leg there. Um, what about kick return or punt return? Anything surprise you there with who we tried it out? No, not really. You weren't surprised to see Swift go out there, number one running back as a punt returner? Uh, no, because he'd probably be your hands guy. Because we don't have a Terry Godwin or someone anymore. Yeah. That's true. I think Swift could be a nasty punt returner, though. I mean, think about his what, what makes him special is his ability to make people miss in space. I mean, and who do we have? I mean, that's what you have to do at punt returner. And I know it's dangerous to put your you – know, here, insert everyone argue, complaining about having uh, Zeus on special teams getting hurt on special teams, even though it was non-contact, no matter what, whether he was taking a handoff or running special teams, it was going to happen. Um, so, I mean, I know it's tough to put your best running back back there, but – if you're looking for the guy that can make things happen with the ball in his hands, Swift is the guy. Um, then, of course, they had Karras with the number one kickoff return unit and Cook with the number twos there. I think D-Rob's going to look once he gets back healthy. We'll see if Dominic Blaylock can factor in as well. But uh, I wasn't too, I was not surprised at all to see Karras and Cook back there. Swift, I was a little bit surprised to see him go back there as the number one punt returner. But it, it kind of makes sense when you really think about it. But uh, didn't see too much of the special teams, but just a, a little conversation there about what we saw because that is something that we cannot ignore. Special teams can win you and lose you football games. We all know that. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed our take here of what we saw and observed during the G-Day scrimmage. We'd love to get your thoughts on it as well. So hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UJ. Let us know anything you agree, disagree with. Throw your thoughts out there. We'd love to hear from you guys. I uh, would definitely appreciate that. Also, let you guys know that we are holding a mailbag episode later on this week. So go ahead and send those questions in. Um, it's a, Well, it can be really anything, but we're focusing on G-Day stuff. So any G-Day questions, comments, concerns you have, anything. It can be baseball-related, anything really. Throw it at us, and we will definitely be covering that on the show later this week. That will be a premium episode. So if you're not subscribed to us on Podbean and you like to – take a listen to that episode go ahead and subscribe to us today on podbean just click on our twitter profile at glory underscore uga click on the little link there in our profile it'll take you to our podbean page and scroll down and find that little yellow buy now button type in your information and boom within a minute or two you are set to go but uh all right that does it for us uh for curtis i'm tyler thanks for listening and as always go dogs